Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, and welcome to SEAC Stories. This podcast is brought to you by the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre at the University of Sydney. SEAC is a university-wide multidisciplinary initiative that facilitates collaborations and builds on the expertise of our researchers to address the region's challenges. This podcast tells the stories of our members exploring and sharing their research in and across the region. I'm Thashara Dibley from the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre, and I'm excited today to be in conversation with Professor Thomas Mashmeyer, a professor of chemistry at the University of Sydney, where he established and leads the Laboratory of Advanced Catalysis for Sustainability. In addition to his work at the university, Thomas is also the founding and executive chairman of Gelion Technologies, the co-founder of Lysella Holdings, and inventor of its CAT HTR technology, which we will be discussing later on. Most recently, he was awarded the Prime Minister's Prize for Innovation, Australia's top prize in the field. Welcome, Thomas. Thank you very much for having me. Pleasure to be here. Well, maybe just to kick us off, could you explain your area of expertise a bit? As a professor of chemistry, what is it exactly that you do? Yes, so I'm a professor of chemistry and my speciality is catalysis, that is to make chemical reactions go faster. So examples are that you have a lot more cars in the inner city than you had in 1970s, but the air is magically better. Why is that so? Because we have catalysts in the back of the exhaust system and the pollutants that normally would take 5,000 years to break down in the atmosphere only take 5 milliseconds in the exhaust system because of catalysts. So that kind of acceleration of reactions is what I do. The way you explained it there, it sounds like this process, catalysis, is something that's beneficial to our environment. Yes. So every cell in your body has uh, thousands and thousands of catalysts in it. They're called enzymes. And your body itself has about 13 trillion of catalysts in them. So catalysts and selectively accelerating chemical reactions is part of life. And what was it that brought you to this particular area? I was just fascinated by the idea of being able to control on the atomic scale how bonds are made and broken and how I can come up with assemblies which will really have an influence on the selectivity of chemical reactions, which can be quite broad. You know, everything that can happen will happen inside a reaction flask. And if I can accelerate one particular reaction, um, that means I have control over the whole system. And that was intellectually very exciting and stimulating. So you're the co-founder of a company called Lysella Holdings, which has developed yes. a catalytic hydrothermal reactor. So can you explain what that is and what it does? Yes, so basically in order to break down organic matter, I can do a number of things. I can burn it, which we know how that works, uh, and I can also gasify it, which is to heat it to a very high temperature and everything breaks apart and becomes a gas or char. And then there's this third way that is called pyrolysis, so pyros, Greek fire, lysis, you know, separating. So separating with fire against the heat. Uh, and I break down this organic matter in a way that it makes a liquid and a gas called pyrolysis. However, those liquids are extremely unstable because as I break them apart, they become very reactive where I've cut them. And um, they then start to react with each other and make intractable solids. So the liquid yield is quite low. So our process is different. Our process uses water as a way to transfer the heat and also as a way to donate hydrogen from the water into the highly reactive broken bonds to make them stable again. So we have extremely high yields of very stable materials. 
So can you explain how you're using this to uh, deal with plastics? Sure. So therefore, using the CAT HDR process for plastics conversion, end-of-life mixed plastic conversion, which nobody else can do, um, we are able to use this supercritical water. So that is water that is gaseous, but so strongly compressed to act like a liquid, but it's still a gas. It's in between you know, uh, things. You cannot experience yourself this phenomenon. If you did, you would die instantly. So it would be a very short moment of recognition. Um, and this very aggressive medium, once I reduce the pressure or the temperature, just becomes water again. So that's nice. Uh, and I'm able in this medium to transfer the hydrogen into the breaking down plastics. And then I make oils from that. And these oils can be used as new chemicals, as feedstocks for new plastics, as waxes, as lubrication, uh, oils, etc. So we are really targeting not fuels, but the circular economy, keeping that carbon in the chain and going round and round. Any type of plastic? Yes, we can do any type of plastic, but there are certain things called hetero elements, so really elements other than carbon and hydrogen. So uh, there are limits on the amount of chlorine, on, on the amount of nitrogen. Um, we, we are okay with uh, 5% or so, that's not a problem. We can also build a plant that can take very high levels of that, so very high levels of PVC, polyvinyl chloride, or nylon, which has a lot of nitrogen in it. Um, but then that is a much more expensive plant. So the first plants are going to be the ones which interact with existing streams that come from mixed waste recycling facilities. So there's already uh, legislation that makes sure that there are plastic sorting streams available commercially that have the right specifications. So we go for them first. And what do these plants look like? Are they Basically, it's a very special hot pipe. Uh, we have a special way of delivering the plastics together with the water. Uh, and then we have a special way of injecting the supercritical water into the reactor. And to get that right took us six years or so. But um, from the outside, it's just a typical petrochemical kind of plant. It's 12 meter high steel pipe and a few of them next to each other. And then it goes into a holding tank. Our, our product goes into a holding tank passes then into a distillation column where it is separated by boiling point and then you have sellable fractions into the circular economy. So this byproduct, um, you mentioned that there are a whole range of uses for it. Yes. Has it already been used? Yes. Yeah, so so, so what, what we have is we have certifications from uh, just about all the oil majors that their refineries are able to use our products. So what we make is naphtha which goes into what's called steam cracker to make ethylene, to then make polyethylene, which is your plastic, your milk bottle plastic. Then we make what's something called light cycle oil. You can make aeroplane fuel out of that, diesel lubricants um, and surfactants, so soaps. You can choose what you like to do with that. The third one are industrial waxes. So many things are coated in industrial waxes. In this room, I could point out a whole range of different things which have a thin coating of wax on them. Uh, so that's the third product. And the fourth one is the residue, which is a diluent for bitumen. And because it's coming from plastic, it has actually advantageous properties. So the bitumen will perform better. And we've built some model roads to showcase that. It's amazing that you can use it in all these different ways. 
So in December 2018, uh, discussions began between your company and the government of Timor-Leste about using this technology in Timor. And then an agreement was signed, I think, in April 2019 to establish a nonprofit organization called RESPECT, Recycling Environment Social Plastic Empowerment Community Timor. So I'm curious about why you've decided to implement this technology in Timor-Leste. So um, the company that's done it is the company that holds the global rights for the plastics conversion. So the CAT HDR process is a platform technology. We can do waste biomass, we can do old rubrication oils, and we can do plastics. So in order to commercialize it globally, we formed a joint venture with another company in Europe, Armstrong Chemicals. And together, Lysella and Armstrong Chemicals on Mura, and Mura has started this initiative in the philanthropy. And the reason we chose East Timor was basically it's the youngest, smallest country around the place that is surrounded really by the plastic in ocean problem. So there are a lot of social issues around what to do with the plastic that accumulates on the beaches how to treat that and um, we found out that a lot of the time it is it is collected but then just put behind the beach into a shallow dip and then uh, burnt and there are a lot of uh, health issues with that cancer clusters breast cancer respiratory illness all sorts of things Uh, because all these mixed plastics with very acrid smells etc are just burnt in the open air so we felt that we, our technology, one single plant of our technology could make all of Timor-Leste plastic neutral. So that was exciting to make a whole country plastic neutral with one plant. They are expanding and building their own petrochemical industry. So therefore, given that there's a lot of new activity, we could piggyback on that activity. Um, as an Australian-based you know, technology, I think, it's not bad if Australia has a positive role in East Timor. I'm German, so I'm not going to say anymore. And also, from a personal point of view, we're all based really around impact. So we want our technology to have positive social impact around the world. Of course, for it to be successful, somebody has to make money. But the founders are really based around this. How do we translate the technology? How do we have positive social impact? And if East Timor can do it with all its troubles, anybody can. So it's really a light on a hill kind of project. Oh, that's excellent. I've spent some time in Timor and experienced firsthand the smell of that burning plastic. So I think it's an excellent initiative. Do you know where in Timor it would be established, the plant, or is that? That would be near where they will finally decide to put their petrochemical industry. Yeah, so that I think has not yet been fully decided because of... As you know, it's a geologically active area and there are a number of different surveys uh, trying to work out where the best spot is, especially in terms of pipelines, etc. that feed it. And do you know whether the plant would employ Timorese people? Right. So, so respect is all about it being not just you know, somebody coming in, dumping some technology and leaving. It's about empowering. The whole story is about empowerment. Therefore, it's a license in perpetuity. You know, all profits stay there. You know, charities, etc., will need to fund it. We, we will not supply the funding, but we will supply the technical expertise and will help with explaining and helping to generate funds, etc. That, that's fine. And to really tackle that problem, we need to give waste a value. So if we can go out and start and respect us about this education campaign already at the primary school kind of level and organize local groups and communities to collect the plastic. Right now, 
there's a medium-sized incentive to do it, not really a great incentive to do it. But if I can pay them to do it, that's an incentive. And then through the education, the social element and the health element will become uh, much clearer. And in addition, obviously, we would like to, the East Timor government is running this, so I'm sure that they will like to employ East Timor resources as much as possible. So it's really trying to hit, interact with each level of society uh, and really make this a cleaning and empowering initiative. And so you were saying that charities will need to fund the establishment of the plant? That's right. And it's going to be a combination of things like the World Bank and some of the larger charities. And um, there are a number of them who are in dialogue. So there is appetite for this. And what about the use of the byproduct in Timor? Are there... Well, this is a nice thing. So, so given that they will put a petrochemical industry up there, we can just interact with that. So they can do whatever they would like with it. And it would help to reduce, in a sense, the environmental impact and the, and the carbon footprint of this new industry. So to some degree, you know, we will expect, and I think there is a strong expectation, that there will be some, some funding coming from the establishment of that industry as well, because that industry enables to clean up the plastic problem and vice versa to some degree. So, uh, so, so it's a lovely showcase of having a circular economy, solving a problem, having impact throughout society. It's just a brilliant showcase. And where are things up to at this stage? I understand the whole process has been slowed down by the yeah. pandemic. Yeah, so COVID has slowed down the development of the petrochemical precinct. And um, therefore, we are sort of attached to that to some degree. So therefore, we are still pushing our development forward in Australia and Canada and in the UK with existing players, etc. Um, but the East Timor situation uh, at the moment is a little bit, uh, I guess, delayed. So I want to go back to, you, you know, your reasons for looking at catalysis and, you know, where it has taken you, like to this project where you're working to both empower people in Timor and clean up the environment. Is this sort of what you were intending to do when you sort of set off on this journey? Well, I mean, not, not specifically East Timor, but my laboratory is called Advanced Catalysis for Sustainability. So I've basically, initially, as I said, I was inspired by trying to understand nature and then excited by being able to use that understanding to control elements of it, to make new molecules that just didn't exist before. You know, I would write them out on a piece of paper and two weeks later I would have them in my hand. The element of creation was very fascinating. And as I learned more and more about it, the aspect of catalysis excited me more and more. And then I realized, well, 90% of all chemical processes, of all materials, all see catalysts in their path. All food, because of enzymes, sees catalysts. Uh, so I thought, well, uh, how can I you know, use this clear connection of catalysis to the world to make our world more sustainable? And so reducing CO2 emissions, reducing the use of energy, uh, making processes cleaner, that has been a driving force. And then the East Timor project is part of that. Do you have plans to run similar initiatives in other parts of Southeast Asia? Well, um, so once we have the East Timor one, I guess, under our belt, we have a beautiful case study of how to do it and potentially what, what not to do. Whenever one does new things, one learns, you know, good things and bad things. And, uh, and so, so I would hope that East Timor will be the first of many because really countries can't say we can't do it if East Timor can do it. So it's going to be a great door opener. 
Well, thank you so much for sharing with us uh, the story. It's a really interesting and very important project, and we look forward to hearing how it progresses. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to SEAC Stories, brought to you by the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre at the University of Sydney. Make sure to keep up with all our SEAC Stories podcasts by following us on your favourite podcasting app. If you like the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. Every positive review helps new listeners find the show. And of course, let your friends know about us on social media.